Well, good morning, guys. Welcome. We're so glad you're here, especially if you're here with us visiting uh, for the first time. Welcome. We are, we are so glad to have you in our service this morning. Uh, this morning, we're actually wrapping up a series that we've been going through called I Am. And we've been talking about different statements that Jesus made about himself. This morning, we're going to look at one last statement that Jesus made, and it's in the book of John chapter 18. So if you have a Bible, if you turn with me to the book of John chapter 18, if you don't have a Bible, uh, if you look in under the chair in front of you, there should be a Bible there. If you don't own a Bible, please feel free to take that one with you. That's our gift to you. We would love for you to take that home, to read it, to look over what we say this morning, to, to read through even more. Uh, don't take my word for anything. Investigate this stuff for yourself. Uh, if you are in that Bible, we're going to be on page 904 as we read John chapter 18. So if you would read with me, John chapter 18, starting at the very beginning in verse 1. When Jesus had spoken these words, he went out with his disciples across the Kidron Valley, where there was a garden which he and his disciples entered. Now Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the place, for Jesus often met there with his disciples. So Judas, having procured a band of soldiers and some officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees, went there with lanterns and torches and weapons. Then Jesus, knowing all that would happen to him, came forward and said to them, Whom do you seek? They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said to them, I am he. Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with them. And when Jesus said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. So he asked them again, whom do you seek? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus answered, I told you that I am he. So if you seek me, let these men go. This was to fulfill the word that he had spoken of those whom you gave me. I have lost, not one. Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. So Jesus said to Peter, put your sword into its sheath. Shall I not drink the cup that the father has given me the word of the Lord. So um, I don't know if any of you have ever heard of a band called Pennywise. Pennywise was a punk rock band back in the 90s. They were from Hermosa Beach, California. I know that because I used to have a t-shirt that said Pennywise, Hermosa Beach, California. And that was about the extent of my knowledge about the band Pennywise. But I wore that shirt very proudly all the time because I wanted people to know that I was a Pennywise fan. I even, after I had owned the shirt for a a little while, went out and and bought a Pennywise CD because I figured if I was going to wear the shirt, I should probably own, you know, some of their music. Um, I, I have to confess, I never actually listened to the CD all the way through, but I think I probably would have loved it. Um, at least that's what I wanted people to think. And that's why I wore the t-shirt because I wanted people to think that I was a Pennywise fan because in my mind, by my estimation, Pennywise was really, really cool. And punk rock was really, really cool, but it had to be the right kind of punk rock. And so it had to be the right band because it, it couldn't be somebody that they played on the radio because then I wasn't really cool. I just liked stuff everybody else liked, but it couldn't be somebody so obscure that nobody knew who it was. Cause then if I was wearing the shirt and they saw the shirt, then it wouldn't carry the weight of, wow, that guy's cool. 
So in this very calculated way in my mind, I, I sought out a shirt for a band that hit just the right note between obscurity and mainstream success. And I decided that was Pennywise, even though, honestly, I really didn't listen to their music. Never went to a concert, owned one CD that I only listened to halfway through. Why in the world would I buy and wear a t-shirt for a band that I never actually listened to? Because I was trying to portray an image. Because I wanted people to look at me and think something about me. I wanted them to, to see me and think I was someone. Even though, honestly, it really wasn't who I was, it's who I wanted them to think that I was. Now, that seems totally ridiculous. <laughs> I mean, to me now, it seems totally ridiculous looking back. Why did I ever do that? But to be honest, to be honest, I really haven't changed all that much. I don't wear band t-shirts that much anymore, but I still have in my mind an idea of who I want people to believe I am. I still struggle with identity issues. And I say that because I have a feeling that most of us, no matter how old we are, how, how mature we think we are, in some ways, struggle with issues related to our identity. I was thinking about it this week, and, and uh, I, I wrote down, I made a little list. Now, this is not exhaustive, um, and this is not like to be taken as scripture or anything. This is just kind of my thoughts on different ways that we struggle with identity, and I thought, I'll bet you can probably connect with one of these three things. First of all, like what I was saying about myself, many of us want to be identified in a certain way. We want people to think something about us. We have an image in our minds of who we should be, and, and we work really, really hard to obtain that image, to, to maintain that image, to portray that image to other people. And we're very careful about what we post on, on Twitter, on Facebook, so that it projects the right image. We want to be seen as a good student. We want to be seen as a model husband. We want to be seen as the perfect mother. We want to be seen as a successful businessman or businesswoman. We want to be known as something. And not always through like deception or, or fakery, but in some way we make decisions and, and we live our lives in such a way to portray this image because we want people to know us as that. I want to be that kind of man. I want to be that kind of woman that, that people see and they think whatever it is, and you can fill in the blank, and so I dress a certain way, I act a certain way, I spend time with a certain number of people, or a certain group of people, because it, it gives off the image that I am that person. For others, the, the identity issues are different, though. Some of you, some of us, have an identity that we don't like. Something that we believe people think of us. 
that we just know in our heads, when people see me, they think this, and we hate it, and we don't want that image. We don't want that identity, and we're so pushing far away and trying to run far away, but it's always there. Something someone has said about us, something that we believe we've done, a a guilt that hangs on us. It's the identity, I am an alcoholic or an addict. I am lazy. I am a failure. I am a dropout. I am a victim. Because of something we did, something somebody did to us. And we hate that identity but we feel like there's no way to escape it. And then, and like I said, this is not an exhaustive list, but I I believe there's at least one more group, and that would be those of us who really don't know who we are. We know we should be somebody. And, And when people ask us, when we meet people and they ask, what do you do or who are you? And they're trying to get to know us and we don't even know. And we feel like there's so many things that the world is telling us we should be this or be that. And we don't feel like we fit in anywhere. Who are we? And we're struggling with our identity. So the question this morning, if you find yourself in any of those groups or maybe something else that I didn't even think of, when you think about who you are and we think about, you think about your, your identity, your person, The question is, as we come and look at who Jesus said he was, within that, is there an answer to our struggles with our identity? See, at the very beginning of this series, back a couple months ago, when we started this whole series off, we said that when we understand who Jesus truly is, it will free us to be who we were created to be. When we understand who Jesus truly is, it frees us to be who we were created to be. But what does that mean? How does Jesus' identity interact with my identity? And how does it answer those questions? And how does it shape who I am and shape my life and free me in some way to truly be not just who I want to be and not just who other people say I am, but who I was meant to be. Here's what we're going to see this morning, okay? And if you miss everything else, what we're going to see is that understanding who Jesus is, it doesn't just shape our identity. It creates for us a new identity, a better identity. So to get there, we're going to look one more time at at a statement Jesus made where he said, I am, but this one's different than most of the others. Most of the times that we've seen throughout this series that Jesus said, I am, it was the beginning of some kind of a metaphor. I am the bread of life, or I am the gate, or I am the vine. All these different things that he was saying metaphorically, something about him, some aspect of who he is, was symbolized by these things. But here in John chapter 18, there's no metaphor. Jesus speaks about who he is. And it's actually a very, very powerful, powerful 
moment. Just to give you a little context as we look at this story together, this portion of scripture, this part of the life of Jesus comes after what we sometimes refer to it as the Last Supper, which is where Jesus gathered his disciples together knowing what was coming in his life. He knew that he was about to be arrested. He knew that he was going to be separated from them. So he wanted to get them together to talk to them, to share with them what was going to happen, to make things as clear to them as he could at that time. And so they they shared this supper together and then they went out into a garden. And in John chapter 18, it tells us when Jesus had spoken these words, he went out with his disciples across the Kidron Valley where there was a a garden, which he and his disciples entered. And it tells us that this is a place they went to often. And so Jesus takes his disciples to this garden. And it's not here in John 18, but if we look at the other passages, uh, the other gospels that talk about this, they tell us that, so they went to the garden and then Jesus went off by himself. And he prays and he prays and he prays and he prays for hours, it seems like struggling and wrestling with what he knew was coming. This, this crucifixion that was coming for him, this, this time that was going to be so intense and so powerful, and he wrestles and he, and he struggles with the idea of what's coming. And in that time, he, he, he totally and completely submits his will to God's will. And he says he is ready to do what he came to do, And then he comes back with his disciples, and that's where we pick up in verse 2. Now, Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the place, for Jesus often met there with his disciples. So Judas, having procured a band of soldiers and some officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees, went there with lanterns and torches and weapons. Now, picture this scene. Okay, here's Jesus, and at this point, 11 other disciples— So these 12 men are there, and suddenly, in this dark garden, suddenly the sky lights up, the garden lights up with these torches, with these lanterns, and the noise just explodes with this band of soldiers, this huge mass of soldiers descending on them. And they've got weapons, they've got armor, they've probably got their shields out, their helmets on, they're ready, like on the attack, and they encircle them. And Jesus, knowing all that would happen to him. And that's key. So like this happens, Jesus isn't surprised. Okay, he doesn't look up like, what? Soldiers? Where'd they come from? What's going on? He knows what's coming. He knows what's happening. With that knowledge in mind, he does not run away. He does not try to fight back. He steps forward. And he says, whom do you seek? And they answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus said to them, I am he. Now, partly, partly this is different because throughout the other gospels and throughout the gospel of John, there have been many times when people wanted to arrest Jesus. Lots of times where they came looking for him. He said something, he made them mad. They wanted to kill him. Over and over and over again, when that happened, he would slip away. He would go through the crowd and get away from them. Sometimes it almost sounded like he just totally disappeared. Not this time. This time, he says, I am Jesus of Nazareth. The one you're looking for, the one knowing, the one you're wanting to kill, that's me. 
So he says, I am he. But there's more to it, more to his statement than just that. See, in our translation in English, it says, I am he. But in the original, in the language Jesus spoke, what he actually says here is just, I am. And the he was added by the translators to kind of give it some grammatical shape. But Jesus spoke and said, I am. And that's significant. It's significant for a couple of reasons. Number one, he had said that before. I am. It was a statement he had made before to some religious leaders when they were asking where he gained authority and why he was being so bold as to to speak up and, and acting like he was God. And his response, I am, was a declaration of his deity. It was a declaration that he is God, not just sent by God, but God. When he said it in the past, it enraged the people he said it to. I mean, they were so angry, they wanted to kill him just for saying, I am, because they understood the importance, they understood the magnitude of what he was saying. It was a powerful statement, both figuratively and, as we see here, literally powerful. Because Jesus said to them, I am he, and Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with them. And then verse uh, verse 6, when Jesus said to them, I am, they drew back and fell to the ground. Fell to the ground. Because he said, I am, it knocked the soldiers, this big group of heavily armed guards who were coming to arrest him, who have encircled this little tiny group of 11 mostly unarmed men. And Jesus says two words and boom, lays them all out. What in the world is going on? Why would that happen? Now, there's a couple of interpretations of what this means from biblical scholars, and I'll share them both with you. Either way, they kind of lead to the same conclusion. They, they, they give us or they make the same point about Jesus and about who he is. One possible interpretation, knowing that this is a group of highly trained Roman soldiers, when it says they drew back and fell to the ground, could mean that rather than them being knocked down was that they literally drew back, like fell back and dropped down into a defensive position. Because Roman soldiers carried these huge shields that if they dropped down to their knees, the shields would cover their entire bodies. And it was a very strong defensive position. So possibly when Jesus said, I am, all the guards dropped back into a defensive position. But that's weird, isn't it? I mean, somebody saying I am makes you drop down Put up your shields, prepare for a battle. There's 11, 12 guys there. And when one of them says two words, suddenly you feel like you've got to, you know, raise your swords, throw up your shields. They understood that there was power, that Jesus had power. And possibly, possibly, when he said, I am, they were suddenly filled with fear. And it threw them on the defensive. 
Or the other and, and more common, more popular interpretation would be to say that when Jesus spoke and he said, I am, that literally it picked them up and threw them backwards on their backs. That physically there was power in those words. That him saying, I am, revealed just this tiny bit of his full and true glory. That he gave them this this tiny glimpse of what it means for Jesus to truly be God. And the glory of God that, that we have not seen truly, fully, in an unfiltered form. And when they got even a glimpse of it, it physically threw them backwards. Either way, either way, when Jesus says, I am, it shows us the power in who he is. And it shows us his confidence and his clarity in who he is. Because like I said, all the other times when they came looking for him, when they wanted to arrest him, he slipped away. It wasn't because he was afraid, though. And that's what this shows us. He wasn't afraid of anybody. Because any time he wanted to, he could have done this. He could have defeated an entire army with his words because of who he is. And yet in this instance, because he is crystal clear on his mission, on his identity, on his purpose, he stands up and he says, I am. And that moment of clarity floors everybody around him. And he's so at peace and so clear on his purpose that now things erupt, things go crazy. And they're trying to arrest him and Peter grabs a sword and cuts off somebody's ear and we can only imagine the noise and the chaos and yet Jesus in that moment stops everything and he turns to Peter and he says, put your sword away. And he says this in verse 11, shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me. Knowing what's going on and knowing that this is his purpose, he says, I am ready to do what I was made to do, to do what I came here to do. Because the reason he came to earth was this very purpose, so that he could be arrested, so that he could be crucified, killed. For us, to take the wrath of God for us, and then rise again to prove his power, even over death. And that's why he came. And he says, that's why I'm here, that's what I'm going to do. No question in his mind. So what does all of that mean for us? I mean, knowing who Jesus is, how does that translate into us knowing what we were created to do? Is it just a way of saying that Jesus is so amazing, so awesome, so powerful, so glorious, and I'm so not? 
Is it just a way of saying that I am so wretched in comparison to him that I could never hope to be who he is? I mean, look, that's partly true. I mean, that's completely true, but it's only part of what's going on here. See, there's more to it. When we talk about our identity and Christ's identity, there's more to it. There's a phrase, a phrase that gets used a lot throughout the New Testament. And it's the phrase that we need to understand to truly grasp our identity. If we are believers, if we believe that Jesus really did do that for us, then there's a phrase that's used throughout the New Testament that informs us of a new and different identity. And the phrase is this, in Christ. We who believe that Jesus Christ died and rose again for us are now in Christ. And that identity changes everything. Now, if you're here this morning, if you're, if you're not a believer, I hope that as we talk through what this means and what, what being in Christ means, I hope you find it intriguing. It's probably also going to sound a little bit weird. I understand that. But for those of us who are believers, this is who we are. So just kind of to help demonstrate this, like I said, this is all throughout the New Testament, but there's just one passage I want us to look at together. The Apostle Paul wrote this to the uh, early church in a letter called Colossians. So if you have your Bible and you want to flip over to Colossians, and if you don't, we'll put it on the screen, but in Colossians chapter 3, And like I said, this is throughout the New Testament. But just here, look at what Paul says to these believers in Colossians chapter 3, verse 1. If then you have been raised with Christ. So he says, I'm speaking to believers. And if you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above. Where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died. You have died. Your identity, your what you consider yourself to be, your what other people think of you, your whatever image you've been trying to cultivate or whatever image you've been trying to run from, you have died. And your life is hidden with Christ in God. You are no longer all those identities, all those images, all those ideas. You are a new and different creation. And who you are is in Christ. Another way of saying it, and, and I was trying to put it in a way that, that would be memorable. And so I, I've said one way of remembering this. Who I am is in the I am. My identity is actually within, Paul says here, hidden in a part of Jesus Christ. My identity now. is transformed, is changed by my connection 
with Jesus Christ. As I become consumed by him, the other identities that I have, that I struggle with, that, that, I, that I'm trying to gain or trying to lose, those are either discarded or they're transformed. Let me explain what I mean. So some of us have these negative identities we've been carrying around. Based on our own guilt, our own sin, things we've done, and we feel like that is who we are. In Christ, that is gone. Paul would say there is no condemnation for our sin in Christ. Some of us have guilt from the things that have been done to us. In Christ, that is not who you are. Some of us live our lives and we have this identity needing approval and our identity needs to be shaped by what other people think of us. And so we're constantly wondering, do you approve of me? Am I good enough? Did I please you? Did I do things the way you wanted them done? In Christ, we have the approval we need. We do not need the approval of others anymore. And then we have identities that are not negative. Things about you, ways you you would identify yourself as you relate to others. You're a husband, you're a wife, you're a father, you're a daughter, you're a son. You're an employee or an employer. Those identities, rather than being discarded, are changed. They're transformed through God's grace. We find ourselves free to love others without needing revenge, without needing their approval, without seeking to get something from them. We're just free, free to interact through true love. Now, saying all that and knowing all that, I don't always feel all of that. Do you? I mean, if you're a believer in Christ and and you have this new identity, you are in Christ and your sin is gone and your guilt is gone and your need for approval is gone and you are free to love. Do you feel that way all the time? I mean, do you wake up in the morning going, I am in Christ. And that's going to change the way I live today. I don't. I mean, I, I find myself slipping back into those same patterns, trying to please other people, becoming consumed with my guilt of who I am. We find ourselves constantly going back to our old identity when we've been given a new identity. But here's the really, really great thing about being in Christ. We don't have to feel it for it to be true. We don't have to feel it for it to be true because it's not about us. We didn't earn it, so we don't have to earn it. See, we didn't procure it by something we did, so we don't have to maintain it to keep it there. Being in Christ is not something that we do. 
It's if you're a believer, it's who you are. And so this constant need to try to be something, we are freed from when we are in Christ. And we forget, I forget all the time, I am in Christ. And I fall back into those patterns. And I have to remind myself, constantly have to remind myself that I am in Christ. That I don't have to gain approval. That I don't have to try to live with a certain image. And so what I have to do, what we have to do is go back to the scriptures, go back to what God says to us, go back to the places where God speaks to us and tells us who we are. To remind ourselves that we are sons and daughters of God, that our identity is in Christ. It's not what we do. It's not our achievements or our appearance or our relationships that we're in Christ. Man, almost every day we have to remind ourselves of that. But this is what's so great. That even when we forget, it's still true. That even when I'm living apart from that, even when I'm living in a way to try to gain approval or earn something, that I'm still in Christ. Sometimes in my life, and I'm sure in yours as well, people and circumstances seem so big. And God seems so very small. The things I'm dealing with, the relationships that I'm trying to, to maintain or manage or handle, they seem to consume me. And God seems so distant to me. And here's what I have to remember. That Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ is the one who can speak and knock soldiers flat on their backs. Jesus Christ is the one who is stronger than death. Jesus Christ is the one who holds the entire universe together. And we are in him. We get so focused on trying to maintain on trying to perform, on trying to make our lives work ourselves. And our identity in Christ means that he is the one who's in control. I've got a friend named Scott. He told me a story once about him and his son that illustrates this, I think, so beautifully. So Scott took his son Bryce to the beach. Bryce was about three years old. And uh, he had this truck that he was playing with. And so he was playing in the sand and Scott was sitting, you know, a little ways off. He's three years old. So if you're a parent of a three-year-old, you don't want to get too far away, obviously. But you don't want to be right on top. You don't want to be, you know, one of those helicopter parents. So he's sitting back a little bit. And this bigger kid, like maybe six years old, comes up to Bryce. And he grabs his truck. And he looks at Bryce and he goes, mine. And he walks over and sits down in the sand and starts playing with the truck. And Bryce, kind of shocked, kind of starts to tear up a little bit. Then he looks over at his dad. And he stands up. 
This is the way Scott tells the story anyway. Bryce walks over to the six-year-old kid and he grabs the truck and he walks back over to his dad and plops down in his lap. And he looks at the kid and he goes, mine. Do you see the connection here? When Bryce looked at the six-year-old, he was overwhelmed. He, as a three-year-old, there's no way he was going to get that truck back from that bigger kid. But when he looked at his dad, suddenly he wasn't that afraid anymore. Because like, okay, Bryce, three-year-old, he can't take the six-year-old. But Scott, oh, he could take him. <laughs> I mean, that six-year-old's not messing with his dad. So when we, as believers, look at the world, look at who we are, and we're focused on our problems, we become overwhelmed. We forget who we are. We find despair. But when we turn and look at our dad, it changes our perspective. Look what Paul said in Colossians verse three, or verse two. I'm sorry. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. He, he doesn't mean, look, he doesn't mean walk around all day just like singing hymns, talking about heaven, imagining you're not where you are. What he means is as you live your life, don't seek your power and your solutions in yourself. Remember, set your mind, remember who you are in Christ. Let that shape how you make your decisions. Let that shape how you live your life. Wouldn't that be, oh my goodness, wouldn't that be an amazing way to live? Could you imagine living a life where you are so totally sure that you are in Christ, that you are free to no longer need the approval of others, to no longer feel weighed down by your sin and your guilt, where you're free to live, to, to, to love people radically. I would love to live my life that way. On my own, I cannot. But, oh man, I don't have to. Because I'm in Christ. So I have to remember every day who I am is all wrapped up in the I am. Who you are is in Christ. So here's what I want to do this morning. As we attempt to set our minds more fully on who we truly are. I'd like to speak a blessing 
to you. Now, if you've been here at Trailhead before, you, you may have been here when we've done this. If not, this might be new to you. This might seem a little weird. I understand that. But let me explain what I'm going to do. I'm going to read a portion of scripture that talks about who we are in Christ. And I want you to listen. I want you, you can follow along on the screen. Your identity is in Christ. And I want you to think about what that means and how that shapes who you are. And, and I'd like for you, if, if you want to participate, I'd like for you to hold your hands out, almost like you're, you're holding them out, cupping your hands, almost like you're receiving this blessing. Okay? Take this blessing. This is God's word spoken for you. And then I'm going to pray. And when we're finished, together we're going to say the word amen. And the word amen, which sounds like a very religious churchy word, but it's not. What it really truly means is just it is true. It is true because these words that were written so many years ago were spoken for you. And that in Christ, these words that I'm going to read are true of you. And so when you say amen, it's your way of saying that this blessing is true of me. And we're going to take our hands and we're going to to almost wash ourselves with these words because this truth, who we are, changes us transforms us, purifies us. And so we're going to wash that over us as a way of remembering that this is who we are. So if you'd like to participate, hold out your hands and listen to these words spoken about you as a believer in Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. Oh, Heavenly Father, you love us. You love us in a way we do not deserve, and yet you've chosen to place us in Christ. Oh God, may our eyes be filled with you. May our identity be no more who we think we are or who the world says we are, But may our identity as believers be in Christ. And all of God's people said, Amen.